Hey, what is up, guys? Today's episode is brought to you by the incredible sponsors of the program, ChemicalFreeBody.com. If health and wellness is a priority for you, then check out the incredible products over at ChemicalFreeBody. Plant-based nutritional supplements from Super Greens, my favorite, with all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients, and micronutrients in just one single scoop. Toss it in your glass of water, your shake, your smoothie, however you want to do it. They also have other incredible products, gut detoxers, anti-inflammatories, immune boosters, and so much more. ChemicalFreeBody.com and check out that promo code, it's me, all one word, it's me for discounts at your checkout. And look, we have so many different insurance policies in our life. And if the last couple years has taught you anything, it taught me that storable food needs to be on that list. Prepare with itsme.com, the incredible products over at My Patriot Supply. They have four-week supply of food, three-month supply, all products with up to a 25-year shelf life. Have the peace of mind, ladies and gentlemen, of having storable food and have that supply on deck. It's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. And uh, if you have, you know, shaving needs like nice chrome domes like me, SkullShaver.com is a whole new concept in face and head shaving. The products offered over there include men's head shavers, face shavers, hair clippers, and trimmers. And ladies, we haven't forgot about you with the butterfly kiss. And we also have a large selection of accessories to make your life that much more simple. All of the shavers come with uh, removable, washable blades made of premium Japanese stainless steel to ensure flawless results. It just makes it so much easier. You can get your shaving done anytime, anywhere, in or out of the shower. It gets no better. Skullshaver.com, front slash discount, front slash it's me. All of the links to these incredible products will be in the description of this episode. So without further delay, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the show. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to yet another episode of It's Me Speaking to You. I am, as always, your host, your ever-faithful host, Mr. Jeffrey Wilson, coming to you live and direct from the gateway to the west, nestled oh so comfortably, the city of St. Louis. And uh, pardon me if I sound a little off. I have a little bit of a cold, but we're still going to soldier through because we have oh so a special guest tonight. And I'm just so happy to be speaking with her this evening. Um, her husband was uh, one of the major contributors to the business we know as professional wrestling. Uh, his name was Mr. Frank Goodish, otherwise known as to the to the world as Bruiser Brody. Uh, we will discuss his prolific career, how he got to know this fella. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, and thank you for your time, Mrs. Barbara Goodish. How are you? Well, thank you. I am doing fine, and I'm thank you very much for allowing me to do this as a privilege, and uh, I am so happy that people still remember him, even after so long. It's been 27 years, and the outpouring of love still after all this time is just uh, phenomenal. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I see people with <laughs> tattoos all over, you know, basically the, the picture of him with his hand out you know, all over someone's back. Yeah, he, he's definitely made an indelible mark. Um, and it's, it's, he's a very fascinating character, and I'm sure there are quite many layers. Um, I wouldn't mind knowing, if you don't mind, just for folks kind of refreshing, because our audience is kind of wide. Maybe not everybody knows exactly... Um, who this gentleman was. We're talking about a gentleman by the name of Frank Goodish, and she was married to him. How did you get to know this man? Well, I was working in Australia at the time, and this was his first tour. He was working for uh, Texas, which was Fritz von Erich and the von Erichs, and they sent him over to Australia. He was doing a tour in Australia, and I happened to meet him. I just happened to be working in a hotel at the time. What and year I just would happened this be, to be, if you don't mind? What year would this be? This would be 1977, just seems like yesterday, 1977, so it's mm. quite some time away, or long ago, sure. and I just so happened to be working the front desk, they were short of people, and I'd gone down there to help out, and they, I was checking him in, and I sort of met him as soon as he arrived, of course there was nothing, because these were the days, you have to remember, this was the day before computers, before cell phones, before sure. the technology that we have today. So the hotel that I happened to be working in had all the overseas wrestlers and that used to stay there when they came over to do their tour of Australia. 
So to me, they were all like my big brothers because they would show me photographs of their children. I would give them letters from their wives. If there was a phone call, I'd find them and tell them their wife was calling. How familiar and were you with the wrestling, with wrestling in general at that time? Prior not to that? at all. Okay. Never. No, never, didn't even know. I only knew of it because of working and having. But to me, I mean, there was like Andre the Giant and there were the midgets. And to me, they're all just people. To me, people are people. It doesn't matter what they look like. doesn't right. matter anything. We're all the same, you know, sort of. We're all, we're all the same. So it wasn't anything different. It was quite fascinating because, you know, learning about, talking about where they come from. And it was like, in those days, talking to someone from another country was like a travel. You know, it taught you about traveling because... There wasn't much on TV back in those days. It was very new, especially over in that part of the world. And where was Frank so, originally from? He was originally from uh, Detroit. Well, he was born in Pennsylvania, in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. But then his family, he was born from a coal miner's family, and his uh, father didn't want him growing up in the coal mines. So he moved his family when he was home and his sister. There's four, there were four in the family, but there was only two at that time. He moved them to Detroit to give them, you know, a better chance of life. And then there was two other sisters born after. So there was four in the family. There was an older sister, then Frank, and two younger sisters. Mm. So when, like I said, when I met, I mean, I'd been dealing, you know, helping them. Like I said, they were, they were like my big brothers. Right. They were all my big brothers and that. So there was nothing like that. And they became my friends because I didn't want anything from them. You know, of course... There were the women that were hanging around and everything, as we understand, and no matter if anybody's in the public eye, sure. there's always, you know, there's always that, you know. Kind of part of the territory you know, a little bit. That part of the territory. So this one night, in fact, the gentleman I worked for, he was from, uh, he was from Big Springs, Texas. He was a Texas, you know, he was an American gentleman, a Texas gentleman. And he had another bar that was up the road. He had like the bourbon and beef, very Texas. It was called the Texas Tavern and the bourbon and beef. So, so this night, you know, we never socialized in that. Sometimes I just, somebody hadn't turned up that one night. This was after about, ooh, probably six weeks or something after I'd first met him because, you know, just talking and them touring and that. So this night... I had happened to had to work to cover for somebody, so I was working till 11 o'clock. It was a Friday night when they all came back, you know, from their matches. Mm -hmm. So they said, well, we're all going up to the Bourbon and Beef. Why don't you, you know, why don't you come up? There was like, I think like six, seven. There was a whole bunch. You know, just come up with us. So I said, oh, well, okay, I'll do. I'll come up with you and sit down, have a drink. I mean, I didn't think anything of it. Sure. Well, it just so happened that as the night progressed, well, it wasn't that late, but as, as it happened, one by one, everybody got up to leave, and it was like, okay, we're just going to get something, we'll be back, but they never came back. And this happened, and all of a sudden, there was just three of us, which was Frank, myself, and it was another general, another wrestler called Killer Carl Krupp, who has also passed away now. And then Carl got up, he left, which just left, the two of us together and that's kind of how it started so we just sat there and talked for you know the rest of the time there and I found out later it was a setup he had been trying to get me by myself and it was a setup uh, 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 uh. A, rib, was, you know, a rib as they say in the business yes it was I was you know I was set up but the way that it worked out it was good and I and I think sometimes in relationships when you are friends first, it's different because you're not trying to impress the other person. Sure. You're just being yourself. Yeah. It's a much you more know, sometimes... solid foundation, obviously, yeah, than any kind of... He, I'm sure, saw so many people trying to put on front, et cetera. But, yeah, when you're just being yourself, it's a whole different ballgame. And knowing, you know, just talking and that, you know, in the hotel and everything, just, you know, when I was working in that. And, yeah, so it was, it was me. So there was no games. There was no anything it was just me and that's kind of how it all started and he was over in australia for quite some time so what happened was when he got ready because everybody was saying you know oh, don't waste your time you know they're only here for a short time they're gonna go away and you'll never hear from them again 
So what happened was one night he came back from the wrestling matches. This was quite some time after, because I think he was over there for like, oh, seven, eight months. He'd gone home for Christmas but had come back. And he said, well, I'm going home on, I think it was, this was a Friday night. He said, well, I'm going home on Sunday. I went, oh, okay. Because he, he was a little bit of a renegade, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Everybody that knows him, he was a renegade. He stood up for himself and, uh, you know, he gave his fans the best that he could. And I said, well, okay. And he said, well, he said he put a bundle of money down on the table. And he said, I, I, you know, if you'd like, I'd want you to come. I went, not a word. There was no promises. There was no nothing. It was just... And at that moment, I knew he trusted me because if he didn't trust me, I could just keep the money sure. and not come. So I knew he trusted me. So I tied up what I think he left on the Sunday, and I went over a week later. I tied up a week of my life uh, in that you know that time and came over. I figured out, well, I had a return ticket, and I thought... Well, if it doesn't work out, I'd, I'd seen America. There sure. was an opportunity. Nice vacation. You know, sometimes, yeah, so sometimes when you're young, you have to you have to take chances. I mean, if opportunities sure. present themselves, go for it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that sounded like a great opportunity, sure. And you guys and had so, developed a bond at that point, right? So it's, you know. Oh, right. And I guess this was in 1978, and I guess I'm still here, so it worked out. I mean, I wish it worked out better, naturally, because of everything that happened. But we have our son, and uh, I. this is my I mean, I've, this is my country now. I mean, I've been here longer than I've been anywhere else, from, from 78. Wow. And so what, um, his beginnings, do you know how he particularly got into... Um in professional wrestling? Well, you see, he played, uh, well, in college. I mean, he went to, uh, he went to college, he went to college, ended up in West Texas State, which produced Terry Funk, mm. Stan Hansen. Yeah. They, they all were at West Texas State on football scholarships. So they were, they were all there. Then, of course, he got picked up by the Washington Redskins. He he didn't make the team, but he got picked up. So he he played a little bit for them, and then got cut, of course, because as he said, he was young. He didn't realize it was like you know, didn't kind of do the right thing by, you know, he was young at the time, and he realized that. And then he went to the, he played a lot of semi-pro teams. Mm-hmm. I think he went to Canada. I think he played a Canadian league. He played in Mex- he, uh, he went to Mexico, I think, if I remember. So he played around doing semi-pro football. And he ended up in San Antonio with the San Antonio Toros, which was another semi-pro football team. Well, at that stage, he met, I think it was Ivan Putski. Mm-hmm. Polish power. Gym. Yeah, so that was how it kind of ended up. So he met him and ended up at the gym, because, of course, he was, you know, working out at mm. that, and kind of got, went into, got, uh, what is it, went into the wrestling, had the opportunity to see if he wanted to wrestle. So that's kind of how he went into, because if you notice, a lot of the football players end up wrestling. Was that You've got when- to be an athlete. Um, I'm sorry. Was that, was that when Ivan Putsky was in the? Was that would have been a uh, Vince Senior territory? Would yeah, because he was Yeah, that was there was Dallas. Of course, uh, Fritz was one of the main parts that sure. got him started. Bill Watts. He was Bill Watts. And then, of course, you have to remember St. Louis, where uh-huh. people knew him as King Kong Brody because there was Dick the Bruiser. So they couldn't have two Bruisers. So in St. Louis, people knew him as King Kong Brody because uh-huh. you know that. Two bruisers was not, that was too hard to deal with, Dick the Bruiser and then of Bruiser course. Brody. Especially at that time, yeah, Bruiser yeah, had, yet, had yet to, uh, I'm sorry, Dick the Bruiser had yet to kind of fade out of his career. Yeah, and I remember seeing first your husband, I, like I said, I'm 42, I had the, uh, when I was I was raised in a certain regional area where the cable, I didn't get world class till later, I saw him on Georgia Championship Wrestling in like er, very early 80s. Like I told you, he was just scary. <laughs> he was he was just one of them. I don't know. He was he was quite scary. He was quite scary. But I mean, he 
it's so weird because, like I said, I mean, I've talked to other professional wrestlers. As a kid, you watch it in a certain perspective, and obviously it was at that time very real, and the whole point of it was to make it real. But it was interesting as you get older to kind of see the uh, – understand a little bit more behind the scenes. And I love a good shoot interview, and I – you know, obviously there's a lot of BS in a lot of them. But there's been a pretty consistent uh, theme on your husband that he was just a really – I mean, and that's a, I don't mean – a cool cat, like a really cool guy, and uh, I remember watching the uh, the world class uh, DVD, the Heroes of World Class, and Mark Lawrence was speaking on how bright he was, and I hear that often. How he read often, he was a bright guy, he was into stuff. Like tell, if you don't mind, just a little bit of the stuff that we don't necessarily see behind the bruiser, if you will, because he was like a bright intellectual guy. Right, and see a lot of times, see a lot of people now because of Facebook and things like that, contact me. And they were, they were children, because you have to remember, he's been gone now for 27 years. Yeah. And these were young children that remembered him as going through the airport or on a plane. And they, because he was so memorable, I mean, you know, he just stood out right. in those days. And they said they can remember kind of hiding behind their father's, you know, legs because they were, <laughs> oh, here's this monster that, you know, as a little kid, you imagine looking up and seeing this. And they can remember him going over there and kind of getting down, squatting down and talking to them, you know, saying, you know, just introducing themselves. And they said it kind of, all their lives they realized that you can't judge a book by its cover. Right. And then on the planes, a lot of people... Some of the other people that have contacted me have actually sat next to him. And it's like, here he is, looking the way he does, reading the Wall Street Journal. Right. <laughs> Perception you know, isn't always reality. And what he did, you see, what happened, why I think he is remembered, he treated this like a business, like anybody out there that's going to work every day that treats it as a business. He never lost sight of who he was. Sometimes people in the public eye become the character they create. Yes. And that's when a lot of trouble starts because they lose sight of who the real person is. Well, he never lost sight that he was Frank Goodish. And then as a business, he was Bruiser Brody. Mm. So he w always went out there. I mean, he would get tapes. He would watch his matches. He would see what he could do better. And... Like, like you do if you want to get on with the business, because his main thought was he wanted to go out there and give his fans the best possible match that he could so that they would leave that building at night and say, dang, is it real? Because <laughs> he made it real. Yeah. And he looked. And, I mean, he made it as real as it could be that people didn't feel that they were cheated. No. He wanted them to feel that they had a great night and it was worth everything, you know, that they paid to go see that ticket. Because he put his fans. It wasn't the promoters. It wasn't anything. He put his fans first. And he wanted to satisfy them and I think that's why even today after so long that people remember they remember the matches and of course you have to remember St. Louis was one of his favorite places mm -hmm. to be in the old days of the what the Kyle Auditorium the Keel yeah that's my yeah the Chase or the Keel and the trophy was ever wrestling had. yep wrestling at the Chase Sam Muchnick yeah. Larry Matisak He's still and, booking. He's still booking SICW wrestling with Herb Simmons. Shout out to Herb oh, Simmons. Oh, I know. I have Herb has invited me down several times, and it's so amazing. He he brings me down, and I go to, I go to the matches, and I think I was there. He brought me down in May, and it's. I mean, I, I will go there, or I'll do something, and the people still chant Brody, Brody. <laughs> Brody, it's really quite amazing, and they come up and they talk to me and they tell me stories, and you know, it just—I mean—he would be absolutely amazed at the legacy that he has left behind. Mm. Yeah, and he—he he really embodied, like you said, he's really about the business, but he really embodied, embodied the psychological aspect of it, which I think is really kind of missing um, in in today's wrestling and. Um, yeah, 
he was definitely one of a kind. Um, if you don't mind, what what was his thoughts on? Because as you hear about a lot of uh, wrestlers from the '80s, the road schedule. Um, what were his thoughts on? Um, a, it seemed like to me, and tell me if I'm wrong. A about the road schedule, and B was his. It seemed like he really made like you said he was so about the business he really made it to a point to really kind of pick and choose his things very strategically um he was on the road don't get me wrong but it, it, and i'm sorry the road schedule what were his thoughts on the road schedule too much especially as his son got older he was trying he was trying to pull back a little bit because japan you know i would say that i would be lucky to see him all together on all the days Probably less than three months a year. I mean, that's how long. That's how much he was gone from the house that I was by myself. And as as his son was getting older, he knew that he wanted to spend more time with his son. So that it was seems so to strange. be such a consistent theme. You know, obviously, if they're you see these guys, they're on the road all the time. They have to have right. obviously families and being away from them. That's a very consistent theme, and, and honestly, it's a testament to you guys that you guys were able to stay together to, through that because, like you said, people in the public eye, it's difficult to keep relationships together, and, you know, um, yeah. I, I know. No, that's exactly because, I mean, it was hard because I had to do everything myself, and especially after, you know, uh, Jeff was born and that, it was, I mean, it was hard not having anybody around, you know, in times that you really need help, but... I had good neighbors, and uh, I just, you just do it. I mean, you know, in life, life is not easy, and you don't ever think it's going to be easy, but when it's worth it, you work together. You know, that's a successful relationship. You work together through the hard times, the good times and the hard times, because everybody goes through good and hard times. Absolutely. And it's it was, kind of how even you though, bounce back kind of thing is the, always the testament, you know. It's not how many times yeah, you get knocked down, it's... You gotta, you know, you gotta stand up, and with everything that I've been through, you have, you know, you have to, you have to keep going. You can't, you know, a lot of people I know live in the past, but you can't do that because there's a whole, there's a whole life ahead of you. It's, it's going to be a different life. It's not going to be the life you had, yes. but it's still. And the people that are gone would want you to do that. Exactly. Well, and, yeah. That's good. I'm so glad. I, I'm glad to. Obviously, I don't know you, so I'm glad to hear you articulate that that's a great attitude to have because you know there's people who oftentimes spend way too much time in that rear view mirror when the uh, front windshield there is huge and just waiting for you to look out right. over there um if you don't mind shoot us i don't want to i don't want to keep you too long obviously but i'd love to talk to you some more but if you don't mind tell me some good i uh like i said i hadn't gotten into the world class uh wrestling until a little bit later and it had been around for a very long time and there was a particular documentary that I'd seen recently called Heroes of World Class, which I thought was really good, very well done by a gentleman by the name of Brian Harrison. It was right before uh, WWE bought the WCCW library. Um, oh. Yeah. What, if you had some, I mean, some good stories maybe he lamented about that particular territory, the Von Erics, um, that was such a hot territory, Fritz. You know, it was just on fire in Dallas, and you know the Von Erics were were basically gods. Um, do you have oh. any particular stories from that particular era, or that time? Well, I know you have to remember. Uh, Frank did some booking for yes. Fritz too, and the Von Erics and everything, and that was kind of like a family to him. I mean, because Fritz was the one that got him into the business, so there was always a special connection with uh, the Von Erics. And even today, once in a while, I contact you know. Con Terry, uh, not Terry, uh, Kevin. Hmm. Kevin and I, we, you know, we uh, contact each other. And it's really nice that, you know. And, he was and just his, on uh, Ric Flair's new podcast, and I actually just listened to him today. I hadn't heard from him in a while. He sounds like he's living pretty good, uh, living a very chill life in uh, Hawaii. Oh, I know. All his family. I can, and yeah, with his his mom and everything, Doris. But yeah, there's a family that's had a lot of tragedy too. Oh my goodness! But, but no, as like Frank worked really hard, you know, really hard with the Von Erics. And I mean, some of the little shows. See, he did that because that gave them sometimes a little bit longer at home. And in fact, with that ter territory, see, I hardly ever saw uh, Frank wrestle because. 
that was not part of it. But once in a while, Effie was wrestling close to home. Like when he was working the territory, like he could work. We were in San Antonio, was our base out, well, it was out in the hill country. So if he was going to Austin or Corpus Christi, sometimes he'd take me and Jeff with him, which was, you know, unusual. But it was fun. We didn't really too much go into the wrestling. Like we would drive up with him and then we'd go do something and then, you know, meet him afterwards. But I don't think people realize that with uh, wrestling, I mean, some of the places, some of the small territories that he would go to, I remember one night, he had to actually get changed. There wasn't even a, there wasn't even a dressing room in the building. He had to actually get changed on the street, <laughs> you know, at the back of the building. You know, it's not, people think it's not glamorous, you know, it can, it can be really hard. But I remember Satan, he said, he said, yep, yeah, this is what I do when I'm on the road. Here I am. <laughs> You know, at the back of the building, getting changed into my clothes. The glamorous life of a professional the, wrestler. The did glamorous you, life. Um, did Frank ever happen to mention, like, a favorite uh, territory? I know there were so many, and he was a huge draw everywhere. Um, which one did he happen to mention? Not so much payoff-wise, but just generally speaking, did he happen to have a lament, uh, a favorite place he liked to work? St. Louis. Ah, for Sam. To Sam, right up the top, that has to be, that has to be the favorite. And like I said, and that's why I I go and see Herb because uh, Herb and Herb they did some little shows together. And Herb has old style wrestling. I mean, I've read a lot of good write ups, and he is such a good guy, Herb Simmons, and with Larry Matisak too. And just the, I mean, he has all the old guys. Bill Abner was there. This weekend, this past weekend. Yeah, this weekend was there, this past weekend. I'm trying to get him on my podcast. <laughs> That's all right. We'll get and him. Cowboy, Cowboy Bob. He's coming. I He's mean, co- he, oh, I'm sorry. Which one? Cowboy, who would you say? Bob Wood, the one that's working with Herb down there, that's helping him down there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you talking about Cowboy Johnny Mantel. Cowboy Johnny Mantel is going to be on oh. uh, next week or is later on this week. Uh, Johnny Mantel from WCCW, awesome guy. Oh, he he is. I met. Uh, I've been in contact with uh, Johnny, but this well, last year and this year. Last year, uh, Frank was inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame up there in Amsterdam, New York, nice. which Johnny Johnny was up there, and uh, which is an incredible organization. They have a museum there, which is like two, three stories of nothing but wrestling memorabilia. I mean, it's from the very beginning. So if anybody is ever up Amsterdam, New York, upstate New York, you have to go to the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame. It is incredible for anyone that's a wrestling fan. Wow. That sounds like quite something I'd like to definitely visit. And then last year, I mean this year in April, he got an award from the uh, CAC, the Cauliflower Alley Club. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he he was he got it from uh, what is it, Terry Funk and Stan Hansen. Nice, the Lariat. So, Oof. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Stan is one of the people that have really stayed in touch with us from the very beginning. In fact, he uh, used to take Jeff in the school holidays after it happened. Jeff was just young. Mm. Uh, he would. He would take them with his children on magical mystery tours, and ah, it was nice. really nice. So he has stayed. Him and his family have stayed, you know, really good friends with uh, us, which I really appreciate. Yeah, I always enjoyed Stan Hansen's work as well. Um, another big, big, huge contribution to the world of professional wrestling, and specifically in the world of in the uh, world class championship uh, promotion, was a gentleman by the name of Gary Hart. I think he doesn't quite get oh. his due in the world of best managers. He was a booker. He was one of the first people to bring in like Kabuki and that you know so many elements of professional wrestling that he is so integral to um that he doesn't really get credit for. What are your thoughts and do you have any particular stories on Gary Hart whose book I'm still trying to get? Oh, Gary. Gary yes, Gary Gary was another good friend had a lot to do with Gary back in those days too. It's a it's terrible that he's passed on too. Yes. But yeah, but yes, him and Frank used to come up with some incredible, you know, incredible gimmicks. And one of them, when I think it was San, San Antonio, Texas, they had, and I, 
think it was they found an old uh, ambulance. I think it was an ambulance. And they would go into the building. Frank would be in the back with a two-by-four, and Gary would be there too. And they promised that whoever he was wrestling would leave in the uh, in the ambulance, which was a really kind of kind of a neat gimmick. People loved it. Yeah, I mean, he was Gary Hart. I, uh, again, watching that Heroes of World Class, it was one of those that uh, he really showed a lot of. Uh, he gave a little great insight into the business. Um, if you don't mind, and I, this is, I'm just going to let you kind of uh, speak on this if you don't mind. I don't mean to like transition callously, but um, his, his contribution obviously was so great, and it would have been obviously more, even more significant. Had there, there was a trip to Puerto Rico. Um, if you don't mind, I'm not going to give you my, because it just is pointless, because that's why I want you on. What happened in Puerto Rico? I I know I kind of blanked out that whole time, but nobody will ever really know what happened. I mean, that's just something that I had to let go because you want answers, but no, I don't think nobody knows exactly what happened. And it, I mean, but the one thing is uh, when when this happened, the people of Puerto Rico, there was a banner, you know, when I was, I won't get into, you know, details, the mm. banner, and the banner said, please do not blame the people of Puerto Rico for the actions of one man. So they were really good, you know, the people were really good to me, and no, it's... And when you, you know, say was, one man, where um, uh, Frank... Well, we know... Yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, whatever happened, it was one person that did it and that's about all you know what i mean sure, that's sure, about no, all i can take because i yeah because i kind of had to l let it go but absolutely. i do believe in karma i do no. believe that what comes around goes around i agree i agree i what definitely agree Barbara. absolutely absolutely and i you know and i'm i'm on the fringes and it's you know obviously you have to let these things go but you know there's an anger element not just like man you like lost this person that you love but if just for people who don't know, for the listening audience, this gentleman who took Frank's life wound up kind of essentially walking, uh, just to right. do, due to certain politics of the region, et cetera. It just and that that adds another element of just like not only is your loved one gone, but and there's like no accountability, so it just like doubles your um, effort to kind of have to get past that, not just the loss, but the injustice, if you will. I know, but you look around every day and you see it. You see people, yeah, you know, right. see people going through the same injustice. It's just, see, I'm glad you. It, see, good. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. I'm glad you have that perspective. That's beautiful. Because I just, I don't know. I don't know you, and I'm glad to hear you after this time be able to be in the peace that you are. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Quite frankly, Barbara. Yeah, and one, one, one thing that no. You know, you didn't ask this question, but sometimes people ask me the question, what do you think Frank would have been, you know, today if everything hadn't have happened? Well, back just before it happened, he was even thinking ahead of what to do. He had bought, he had bought a piece of land with a little river running through it, and he was going to build a boys' camp to to take boys, disadvantaged boys, to give them a place in summer to kind of, you know, just, just, you know what I mean, the disadvantaged boys yeah, yeah, that yeah. that don't get much of a chance. He was already thinking ahead, and he had bought this wrestling ring, and he was working with a professor from the university down there, and they were going to come up with a skit to go into the schools put up the wrestling ring in the school, do a little skit and talk about the dangers of, you know, drugs, alcohol and that. Because, right. you know, to put an authority figure in, to kids, we know kids, I know my son, you know, you, you don't listen to authority, but <laughs> Frank thought that maybe, maybe put him in the ring the way he looked, that he could actually get across people and actually you know give a message out between everything with the bullying and everything that's going on mm -hmm. and i think 
just judging by these children that are now full-grown families that they remembered him, I think he, you know, it's such a shame it never happened, but yeah. I think he could have really made, he really could have made a difference. But that's, you know, that's a, you know, that's what he was kind of wanting to do because everybody knows you can't do wrestling when you're 16. I mean, <laughs> I know some of them try, but you got to, you know. You got to tell that to some of these folks down. out here, Barbara. <laughs> I, I know because it's such a hard business and the body is broken down because you're taking bumps all the time. Well, there, and, and not, not, to, not to mention any names or put anybody on blast, but there are, the, there are a few out here. <laughs> Unfortunately, too many legends have passed, and most recently Roddy and Dusty, but there's too many, oh, as you said, who are still living the gimmick. And uh, not letting go, and no names will be mentioned. No names will be mentioned. No, and that was one thing. I mean, he he knew. You know what I mean? He knew he was in his forties when everything happened, and he knew because of the way his body was breaking down too, yeah. just because of all the and from football too, from Absolutely. the football injuries, and then to get into wrestling and that, and uh, you know, it was just one of those things. So yeah, it's just a shame. I mean. Life is full of changes. That's one thing you can count on in life is there's going to be changes as to how you deal with those changes Absolutely. is, you know, how it is. Doesn't make, I'm not going to say it doesn't make it any easier, but it's just something that you have to do. Well, let me ask you, and I, and I obviously don't mean to sound macabre at all. Kevin Von Erich in, in his, in that documentary, again, I hate to keep bringing it up, but it was a really powerful documentary. Um, obviously his, his loss is pretty significant, as you know. Oh, God. Um, yeah, oh, God. And he was talking about um, around 9-11 time, people were asking him about how to deal with grief, as if he was an expert, because yeah. um, he obviously has dealt with it. But his perspective was, and I thought it, I found it very forthright and frank, he was like, um, he's like, it, it doesn't get easier. It's like it just, he's like, for him, it was like David just, David Von Erich just died yesterday. And I found that quite right. poignant, and it, it, I felt bad for him that he hadn't moved past in any way where it wasn't just yesterday you know what i mean what are your i mean obviously what are your thoughts on that did, did was but, did frank just die but yesterday? i remember see what it was i was in that because frank was as i said was working with the was working you know uh booking and there was three of them went at that time i mean starting with david and then the, the younger two so yeah. i was there the whole time that you know we were dealing with that at that time, and I think about their mom, Doris. I mean, how do you how do you go through that with so many children going the way they did? It ha even I mean, Jackie, the child who was electrocuted when he was a child. Right, because yeah, there was the there was that because there was like six boys all together to have. I think what was it, six boys? I think it was, and only having one left i mean I, I i do think about it i think what what i think because of all this they don't really go because they're in your heart and they're remembered so it, it's like in in a way i sort of think because sometimes it's hard for me to even rationalize that it has been 27 years because i mean he has his own facebook page people have got <laughs> he's everywhere his, his Facebook page that people, the Japanese people, I have them contact me all the time to be my friend and everything from the time because he, I mean, Japan was another one that he really liked to go, St. Louis, Japan, hmm. you know, because they remembered him over there. In fact, they, after he departed, they took me over there. They had a memorial show and they took me and Jeff over there. And I was so honored to be able to see exactly what it was like for him because he always used to come home and say, you won't believe what <laughs> it's like over there. It's just, you know, so yeah. different. So I was so thrilled that I did get the chance, even though it wasn't for a good, it wasn't right. good. The circumstances, it wasn't for, yeah. The circumstances weren't good. But I appreciate that I got to experience being over there and seeing exactly what they thought of him. So... Yeah, he's very, very much, I think, people like that, that kind of, so he so remembers his spirit is still very alive. 
It's you know it's it's interesting because if that I, makes sense. No, 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 it does, and it's interesting because I was there when it was organic and just happening, and then it kind of faded for a quick moment. But he, like you just, he he has become iconic. So many of these figures that we just used to watch, that you know were just part of our entertainment, Dusty Rhodes, Ric Flair, uh, Bruiser Brody. I mean, they've become iconic, and it transcends time. Like you said, he's right. not gone anywhere. And that's why, you know, when Larry Matisak approached me to write the book, Brody, The Triumph and Tragedy of Wrestling's Rebel, I had, wasn't even thinking of it. But then when this computer started, I had gone to visit my son and he had a computer and he said, put in dad's name. I put in, mm-hmm. I put in, you know, Bruiser Brody. I mean, I was absolutely shocked of all the stuff that came up about him. And there was so much untruth. You know, I was reading some of these things, and I said, "Oh my gosh!" I mean, because once it's out there, it's out yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't take it back. The once old it's on interweb. the internet, oh yes, it's there. And when Larry approached me, because Larry was the one—I mean, he trusted Gary Hart was another one, but Larry was one that was he trusted. And of course, Dan was quite a few, but you know. Sure. So when he approached me, because he had already written the book, Wrestling at the Chase, mm-hmm. and they wanted him to write a book on uh, Franks, and I said, well, I'm, I'm not an author or anything. He said, all you have to do is write down the personal stuff, you know, who he was, like you asked me, how you met, and just different things like that. You tell it from the personal side. I will do the wrestling side. And and we did, and people have been very complimentary because it is, I, I realized this would be the only way to get the truth out there, that no matter what happens, that this book will stay on, and it's the truth, yeah. a truth about his wrestling because, and even the truth about everything. Yeah. Because Larry is such a truthful person that he, he told, I mean, and it's not all good. You know, Frank was kind of a rebel. That's why it's called of wrestling's rebel. He right. was a rebel in the business, and everybody knew about it. And but as I said, he looked after the fan more than anything. Yeah. And when you do that, you kind of you know you have a few problems with some of the promoters out there. Yeah, but even they know what the, you know without you know what wrestlers now know without the fans, you know they wouldn't be there. You know, without us oh. appreciating Brody, there would be no Brody. But, you know, he did what he did, and we definitely appreciated it. I know, because he wanted, you know, they they realized after a while that, okay, just let him be. He made money for them. Absolutely. Because yeah, he, it, drew, he no. drew houses. If you don't mind me asking, and it sounds weird, but I'm a collector of sorts, and it's not, are his boots, did what happened to his, those iconic boots of his? Were there more than one pair? Because I'm sure if there weren't, they had to smell quite a foul. <laughs> oh no, I I have his boots and his fur jacket, or his, his not his sheepskin jacket, or whatever the one he used to wear down in Japan a lot of times. Yeah. yeah, I have I have his boots and tights and socks and what I have all his stuff that he used to wear. I I haven't done anything with it yet. I've just been holding on to it. So wow. yeah, I do. I do have cool. all that. Yeah, there, I mean, again, that's just one of those things, part of his accoutrement, if you will. There's the armband, you know, on the shoulder. There's, you know, the gear, his black tights in the in the boot. That was always. Oh, and the socks, the white socks with and the, the black stripes. And I bought, I, yeah, I've got the socks. I've got the tights. I've got the. Tell me, there were more than one pair of the black socks because those two had to have been standing up when he woke up in the morning, <laughs> waiting for him oh, to God, jump. Oh God, yeah, there's a, there's there's several. They were well worn because he used. Like a lot of people, you wear the same socks. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. good luck. And, he, and with his boots, I think he wore two pairs of socks anyway. You know, they, they have the ones with the stripes around the top. Those yeah. old stripes, you know, the the socks. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a 70s kid. I was born in 73. I know what's up. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, I know. I have, I, I, I don't know what, you know, as I said, I've still got a lot of Jeff. If, if, if he wants them or if he wants to sell them or something, because I know sometimes it's, you know, it's up to Jeff because, you know, sometimes it's good to, as you're getting older and that, it's good to uh, share things. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that would be a tough decision because obviously there's probably going to be some, 
museum of some form, which would, you know, <laughs> be more than happy to uh, accommodate Bruiser Brody's boots. Um, oh, yeah, I've, I've thought about that. Like I said, the professional, I sent some things up to the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame because they have a lot of the Von Erichs things. and they got, They've got a lot of the iconic... Uh, outfits that people wore in the ring. So, like I said, when I say it's a museum, it's a museum. So nice. that's kind of what what's in the back of my mind I, that I might do is just at that time when his son tells me, you know, what do you want to do that, you know, I might put him in the museum because then everybody can enjoy. See, there's so many people that still remember yeah, more. I mean, obviously you know, but yeah, it a lot. It's he's it, it trans. You know, it's it's one of those rare things because he's transcended space, time. Like that iconic character will exist forever. You know, it's um. Anyway, you gonna get me on? I know because that was so bad. I mean, even this year losing Roddy and Dusty. Oh, don't get me started. And the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. I mean, it just it was just like, dang. I mean, it's just. Wow. Yeah, that was you know, and it's weird, and it's not so weird. I mean, we're gonna close this out, but I, like I said, being being literally, you know, my my programming was you know five oh five, the Superstation, certain wrestling. I was raised on these guys, and of course, the inevitability of life. Of course, we all pass on. I get it. Um, but does those those individuals who were such a huge fixture, if you will, to go down like so fast, you know, back to back? That was literally within weeks that Dusty and Roddy went down, and that was heavy. That was really heavy. I know. And uh, it just shows you that, you know, when you've been in the business a long time, it, it's a hard business. That's that's about all you can come down. It's a really hard business. Yeah. You, you give. You give so much of yourself. And that's, that is definitely something that the fans so much more appreciate now. You know, unfortunately, it had to come at that kind of cost for people to really understand, you know, from to go from the conversation of it's fake to like, all right, this, you know, we can no. get into the conversation of predetermined or whatever, but there is an effect on these guys' bodies that do this, especially even back in the territory days. That's what's even just <laughs> more insane. Um, right. No, you you had to be an athlete and you had to be in shape because nobody can do that to their bodies on a constant level. Yeah, and we see definitely see the toll that it takes. Um, Barbara, I can't even begin to thank you um, for your time this evening. I am, however, going to have to ask you to participate in another a final segment that we have everyone participate in in the program. It is called the Conspiracy Triangle of Doom. It is very simply three oh. questions that I ask you that you can say yes or no to. You can expound if you so choose. But a yes or no will suffice. Question number one. Are you prepared? Yes. Here we go. Question number one, are you or do you believe in the existence of extraterrestrial intelligence? Anything's possible. Mm, a very pragmatic mind there. I like that. Very like that. <laughs> Question number two, do you uh, believe or do you follow the narrative, if you will, of the official version of the events of November 22nd, 1963? Lee Harvey Oswald firing three shots from the old man liquor Carcano rifle killing our 35th president i have no idea hey i'm with that i'm, I, with, I'm with that i don't either <laughs> that was that was that was before that was before I, that i was over here and we did not get that much information ah okay okay a little bit more contemporary then question number 3 do you believe, and do you, uh, yeah, basically, do you believe the official story of the events of September the 11th, 2001? Of course, there's the terrorist attacks of these 19 hijackers, or there's the inside job-ish story. Do you believe there's anything, yeah. Ah, uh, that's a hard one. That's, uh... On the fence I, a little bit, I, on the fence I, a little bit. Yeah, that's, uh, it's... We're only told what they want us to believe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as, like I said, it's uh, we don't know. We don't know a lot, right? What the American people doesn't know is what makes them the American people. I heard that right. in a movie one time. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, as I said, it was uh, something that you'll never forget. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, it was a tragic day, very sad day. So you were on the fence again. You're uh, not so... It, it, I, yeah, I, I, it's hard to tell you, it's hard, I I got you, I got you, I got you, I feel what you're laying down, I feel what you're laying down, I got you, (laughs) yeah, all right, well, I'm not going to keep you any longer, um, what, um, any social media, any websites, anything you would like to promote, so people can maybe follow you, or follow up on some of Frank's stuff? Well, they have the uh, the closed group called Bruiser Brody Hardcore, before Hardcore, which if anybody is a fan, it has a lot of photographs of him and information and different things. So that is uh, something that if people are interested, it's, uh, quite a, it's quite a nice little closed group just on him. Okay. Well, I, I didn't want to get off without asking you, um, what are you up to now? I hate to just have it be all completely about Frank. What what's uh, what are you up to these days? Well, these days, uh, it's kind of uh, Tai Chi, yoga. Nice. Uh, just uh, walking, just, just kind of trying to uh, stay in shape. Be present. Be present. Exactly, be present. Of the moment, I always say, I always like this little one that they say that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, and today is the present. Ah, Those are absolutely perfect words to end on. Mrs. Barbara Goodish, I thank you so very much for your time. I I really, I thank you so much. And we'll obviously stay in touch on the old face space and social networking and maybe get you on sometime again, see what you're up to. Or maybe we'll catch up if I see you at the old SICW gatherings. And thank you, and please tell Johnny Mantel when you talk to him hi from me. I will do that very thing. Thank you so very much, and have a good evening. Thank you. Bye. That was Barbara Goodish, ladies and gentlemen. Stay tuned. We will have more.